Today's episode is brought to you by HelloFresh. Do you feel like you're stuck in a dinner rut? With HelloFresh, you get fresh, pre-measured ingredients with mouth-watering seasonal recipes delivered mm. right to your door. Skip all those trips to the grocery store and on HelloFresh to make home cooking easy, fun, and affordable. You can now enjoy cooking and get dinner on the table in 30 minutes or less. With over 25 recipes to choose from each week, there's something for everyone to enjoy. All recipes are designed and tested by professional chefs and national experts to ensure deliciousness and simplicity. Go to the link in our show notes to get $80 off, including free shipping on HelloFresh, the number one meal kit. And hit record. Because we are so live right now. Okay. okay something. <laughs> something. Do we have questions for the roundtable? Um, That's a no. I got poems ready. I got the board game ready. It would be nice if it was more organized. It's not going to be organized. That'll be fun. Blah, 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 Grab blah. Grab that. Oh, doing it live. We're doing it live. <laughs> Theoretically, if we didn't prepare and haven't... Trained. Yeah, we're, fig- we're, fig- we're figuring stuff out. Uh, uh, and, uh. I think Edupod Lusa broke the internet. Pr- probably did. I think it, it probably Twitter. did. Somewhere I have... The magic wand thing. So, so we've only got a couple little introductions here. So, we've already said hello. Introduce yourself, Ryan. Give us, give us a little whatever. Hey, I'm Ryan Tibbins. I'm the host of the ClassCast podcast. I'm a high school English teacher uh, in Northern Virginia, and this is I'm I'm back. I'm I'm bookending this Edupodlooza opening, <laughs> opening and closing. Well, so, if you nice. skipped all that boring stuff in the middle, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, my name is Aviva Levin, and I'm the host of Lesson Impossible, an exploration of educational innovation. And uh, I'm a French and social studies teacher. And according to the role-playing game that I just played, I have survived the last school year, which is lovely to see. Awesome. Fantastic. Not according to actual practice, though. In real life, <laughs> the jury is still out. <laughs> so uh, I am Tedisco. Oh, yeah, you uh, are Tedisco. I'm a Libra. I like long moonlit walks on the beach. I enjoy pina coladas and getting caught in the rain. Yes. And uh, I am the co-host of Unprofessional Development. Okay. I'm I'm Mealy, and I'm the other host of Unprofessional Development. And and I suck at multitasking because I'm trying to um, find this dock. And there it is. It makes me feel better. I suck at tasking. So, like, (laughs) singular is struggle. Set, uh, set appropriately Neely's, low expectations. Neely's <laughs> laugh cracks me up. I was editing the episode that I had with you guys, and I kept on thinking it was static, and then I realized it was Neely's <laughs> laugh. Yes. He had yeah. to specify it on our second episode because people were asking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so let me let me blow this up. Yeah, it's I do like have it's a, like Ernie from Bert and Ernie. It if is Ernie a little sp- bit. If Ernie smoked a lot of cigarettes. <laughs> wow, that's, I, I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> Okay. So, Let me tell you about my rubber ducky. So what, ha- what happened was, with the Poetry Slam, I had put out a, whatchamacallit out there, a Flipgrid link, assuming that there would be like this high demand for people just wanting to like submit poetry things, and three people submitted things. And so I said, okay, let me just make this a little simpler with the Magic Wand Hour and not, not add the Flipgrid hurdle, and just said, if you could wave a Magic Wand and change one thing in school... What would you change? So we're just going to kind of go through some of these ones that were submitted and give shout outs to the uh, tweeters and discuss what our takes are on this. And um, that's what this is going to be. So the first one now her or his uh, handle is at Coco Chorinapu. But 
they go by, we'll argue with bigots, which I don't think is like a really smart thing to do, but okay. <laughs> Everybody well, needs I a mean, hobby. It's like, I it, will we'll bang a head against wall is, is about the same in my opinion, but. Right, it's kind of like, that's kind of like setting up a, a pretty easy, you know, villain for yourself, right? Oh, you know what I hate? Dumb people. Yes. I'm for yeah. children. I can't really think of a pro bigot <laughs> argument to to really oh, challenge I mean, her with. They're better than small gets. I don't know. <laughs> Thank you. Why? Oh. Why? Why do you do this to me? I don't know. I don't know. We'll argue with bigot says they would change inequity in funding. There's no reason that schools in nicer neighborhoods should get better things than my students at my Title I. Yeah. And I'm assuming they're referring to Title I school, which for the non-American yes. audience are schools that are in low socioeconomic areas and get special funding, I believe. Mm -hmm. yes. um, get special funding that's supposed to help balance things out. And we all know it doesn't, as yeah. we can tell from literally all of the data. Yeah. I, I will say, so coming from BC, um, and now I'm living in Washington State, in BC, it's not funded by the um, housing like that. Uh, property tax. Property tax. Like it, it's it's a, it's a central where it all goes in one big provincial bucket and then gets distributed evenly, not based mm -hmm. on the uh, school's income level of the houses around them. And while it does solve some of it, there actually there's still a large inequity because what happens is then PTAs step in to right. do funding. And so like a friend of mine taught at one school where they auctioned off a parking spot for a parent. So that would be like the parent's parking spot for the year. And it went for like in the, the tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah. Yes. Right. And then that, that's, that's, that's definitely the challenges that you, that um, even because now, and I'm not a big, let's tax people more person myself. But I mean, that the argument would be, well, that person obviously isn't taxed enough if they've got money to buy a $10,000 thing, but I don't know at what point you just got, that's just ridiculous. But definitely, definitely happens is that the parents will make up the difference. So it doesn't matter that if the schools have the same amount of money starting off, parents will buy stadiums and equipment and whatever, whatever it is that needs to be done because like, oh, my kid's going to be here. So I, you know, I've got this much money, so we're going to do that. But that's why it's a magic wand. You wave the magic wand and, and the PTA doesn't um, come into the fact and that there, and that there's enough funding for um, the schools. You're never going to get away from that, that, sort of piece where the parents can contribute directly. And you also probably don't want to limit that. Like when people feel invested in their child, their child's education, like that parent who has tens of thousands of dollars to, to donate or blow on, you know, a, a parking spot, right? You're like, well, they did it because it's their kid's school. But you also have to remember there are hundreds or thousands of other kids who go to that school who also benefited from it. So when you say, well, but what about the school on the other side of town? You know, that, that is unfortunate, but I don't think you ever want to limit people from supporting their local school. The question is, is there a better way to fund it? And I think arguing to fund it at a state level or a national level, something like that, I think in one way is good. In another way, it does make people feel a little less attached, right? Because mm -hmm. like now my local school board and my local board of supervisors, you know, like they have less say in the funding because yeah. it's all being decided somewhere else, which means you've removed local control in ways that in, in many other ways are good things. Like we want people to feel invested in their schools. And when you feel like your money is just sort of being spread around at, at random, psychologically, it tells you that somehow you're, you're less engaged in it. The other thing that people don't normally think about is that it significantly changes actual teacher compensation. 
Like if I could work in a very rural, poor area and make the same amount of money that I do working in a very wealthy suburban area, like why wouldn't I just move out there where land is cheap and houses are cheap? And now I'm like, I'm like a king, right? Because I'm making yeah. the same amount of money. And yep. so it's, it's also a tricky thing where it, to, to do it reasonably, you probably have to index it in some way just to account for the differences in cost of living because, a, you know, a teacher in a very wealthy area is paying you know, they have significantly higher cost of living. So when you throw the same money into poor areas, while it's good because it may attract teachers, you're also going to move people around in ways you may not expect. And so I'm not saying that's a reason not to do it, but it's certainly something we you have to think more carefully about before you centralize all of it. Because if you want local control over your school, you can't necessarily hand the money to someone else far away because money is control. Like you can't hand that off and then say, why don't we have more say? I'll, I'll also say that saying it's just a funding issue is just not seeing the full picture. Yeah. Like if we gave tons of money to inner city schools or, or to, to schools in poor areas, that still doesn't account for the levels of unemployment, the struggles at home, the dangers of getting to and from the school, attendance issues. I mean, there's still so many factors beyond the school building that are going to be impacting those kids. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I, I think extra funding for schools in poor districts will definitely help, but I don't think it's it's an all too. So basically, extra funding for all social services is right. one way <laughs> to ameliorate the problem. Yeah, I was going to say you know, a potential solution that, that though it, it can come with strings as well. Private, whether it be companies or individuals that are willing to um, take on certain schools and adopt them and say, okay, this is this is going to be my school. You know, sometimes it's someone who is from that area who's who's coming back to get to give back. But then there's, but then also, like, like you said, you know, Bill Gates has, you know, gave a whole bunch of money and did a whole bunch of stuff. And then he kind of like used that to exercise influence for some things that some people may or may not agree with when it, when it comes to school. So that's, that's the big challenge that comes with that. Yeah. I, I think there's times and places for private enterprise. And I don't know if education is necessarily one of them. This graduating class brought to you by Coca-Cola. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the Michael you Scott. You graduating. Now enjoy the sweet taste of Coca-Cola. <laughs> the Michael Scott scholarship worked out really Scott's well. Scott's so. Tots. <laughs> yeah, so that. <laughs> That's the one episode of The Office I can't physically watch the way through. I get so <laughs> uncomfortable that I cannot be in the room. <laughs> All right. So the next one is um, standardized testing. I don't know if we want to talk about this very much, but... Um, I would love to. Wait, what, was, what was the prompt? Go away. Oh, is that is that it? Because I mean, I you know, stand, test for everyone. Can we read this in reverse just for fun? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, some people weren't very specific. I don't know how you know. I think readers. someone posted, and I asked, "Well, like, do you want more or less?" And then they went into a little bit more detail. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, but I don't know. That's what I, that's all I got there. But yeah, um, but that, that would be awesome if they would go away as well. And then we can use all the money that we're spending on standardized testing and put it towards those low-income schools. <laughs> I mean, do you know how many, how much money it costs to make a test? Oh well, to make a good test, I mean, anyone can make a test, but yes, to make a good test, and we and hope like that's those usually standardized what's happening. Tests, like how much they they spend on them? Oh yeah, um, yeah, no, and if if they're actually you know normed and and all that, but I, th th at the same time, like I'm I'm one of the only say like teacher friends, you know, my group of people who I know who are teachers, I'm one of 
the only ones who will defend standardized testing to a degree. Like, I don't think we should get rid of it. I, I think we should do less of it. I think pretty much all of it should be, uh, you know, math and English based or, you know, um, but I, I wouldn't get rid of it. I understand why people say that. I just, I think there is some useful data and there are some teachers and students who are getting an appropriate kick in the pants from it where like you're motivated to cover some details you wouldn't otherwise. Um, I think we could do the tests themselves better. I think we could do fewer or, you know, less overall. Um, but I also, I would, I wouldn't get rid of them. I, th I think some testing is, is appropriate and helpful. I, but I would say whatever help it possibly does, that it's not the best tool to, to get that ends. You know what I mean? I don't think it's, a, I don't think it's a, you know, you're saying it's going to make teachers maybe do this or do that or, or have a higher level of accountability or whatever. I think there's much better ways to do that than um, standardized testing. Now I'm kind of biased in the fact that um, the standardized tests in the state of North Carolina that I have given are truly horrible. And, and my justification for saying they're horrible is because <laughs> of the curve that they put on them where they mm. have literally taken 25% raw score and curve that to pass it. So they have decided that here's a standard test that we're giving and passing, guessing is the same as passing. And I'm like, well, how is that? Um, yeah. You know? But I mean, at that point, the focus on passing is probably overdone. Like the important thing is figuring out who who's learning a lot and who's learning less and what's how, how do you adjust to make sure that the kids learning less have an opportunity to learn more. Like for them, it, it really doesn't matter as much if the student passes or fails as getting the data that says, you know, how's the school doing or how, how's the teacher doing? If I teach 130 kids and they all take the test and someone else teaches 100, 130 kids, whatever, like it, it's not crazy to be able to say like, like, let's look at the numbers. And you can always say, hey, there's situational differences in the rest. I just, without, without some kind of standardized data like that, there's really no way to make any comparisons, okay. at which point there's no way to say, what works and what doesn't. Everybody gets to say my thing works. Like there should be some way to measure and say like, are we appropriately well, serving students? Well, if I told you that half the kids taking it were scoring probably 40% less on the, on the test, what would you think of that test? Le what do you mean less? So, so you give a test, right? And 40% or, or half of your class scores a 40 or lower. Yeah, well, I mean, then we either got to look carefully at the test, or we got to look carefully at the student and the teacher, and prob probably yeah. both. <laughs> it's, it's, it's across the it's across the board oh. for my entire oh. my entire school, which I assume is relatively indicative, since it's maybe like five teachers with with over a hundred kids. We're talking like we're talking a sample size of over five hundred kids here. Yeah, and yeah, that's that's not good. That's it's <laughs> not, not good. I don't know which part's not good, but something is not good there. I will yeah. say from personal experience. Um, I was teaching social studies, and when I began my teaching career, it came with a standardized uh, provincial-wide test. And then mid-career, the standardized tests were taken away in the province, and just it was just a math and, and English one rather than every subject area. Um, and it it was transformative in my teaching. I definitely became a better teacher not teaching to the test, and so I very much felt like my students benefited from having that test lifted. What does kind of keep me up at night is grading practices because you know our kids who are academically inclined are applying for very competitive university and colleges and i worry sometimes like is my a the same as another teacher's a 
And back when it was based on a test that everybody took, that could be taken into account. There was an equalizing factor there, whereas my standards are not going to be the same across the board of every other teacher in the province. You know what? Hold on. I, I'm going to use that. I'm going to make the segue to the next one because I think the the solution to that is the solution to the smaller size class sizes too, or not a solution, but a related idea. So the, the next one says smaller class sizes for the last, I think two now, maybe three years, two or three years. Um, I just occasionally drop this idea on my principal or the assistant principals knowing it's never going to happen. But um, I'm like, you know, I teach English. Like the worst part of my job is grading all these essays. Like that's the, I'll sit through the meetings. I'll talk to the parents. I just, I can't keep up with the essays giving what I believe is, is high quality feedback. Right. And so yep. it's really tricky. And they're always like, well, you know, class sizes, we want to keep them down. We want to do whatever. And I'm like, you know what? It, it and again, it, it's age specific. It would work better, you know, with older students, but I would be happy to teach in an auditorium, right. With, give me 150 kids at a time. And I can still, we can still do some discussion. We can still just be college style, like big, big room seminar kind of deal. Um, but then what you'd have to do is because I couldn't grade it, you'd have to hire a grader. And this is what I believe. I believe every department in a high school, um, or at least all your, your core subjects should have a person who all they do is they grade. It, it, we've got five standard rubrics, teacher picks which rubric goes with their assignment. They do it. And then it goes on and the grader grades it. And that way there's no bias for or against a kid. It's not, I was tired late at night. It was better or worse. And that way my expectations aren't, it, and if they're different than another teacher, so what? Because you're all getting graded by the same person who doesn't know you. And so now all of it becomes the standard grade. And so it's not about playing favorites. Small, small classes would be fantastic, right? But it, it short of that, another way to do it would be say, who provides the best instruction? or which teacher is best on which topic and let teachers sort of target, like I'm going to teach this stuff to 150 kids at a time. And then somebody else takes care of the grading. We standardize the grading. So now we don't need the standardized tests at the end of the year. Uh, you take a lot of work off the teacher's plate, which lets them focus on relationships, with the kids and planning great stuff, you know, and, and in the end, whether we have large or small class sizes, it becomes an amount of work that most teachers can handle because we've taken a significant burden away from you. So like, that's, that's my way to get rid of the standardized tests and quit arguing about class size, hire a grader. Who's dealing with the attrition of the graders, though? Because I can't think of anyone that would sign up for that job. But think, think of all the teachers who are, you know, the last couple of years of teaching. They just they're just hanging on for a couple more years until retirement. They don't want to sit through the meetings. They're just hanging out, waiting on a pension. And you know what? We've got the perfect job for you. You're going to get to sit in a room by yourself and grade the stuff. And that's it. Oh, not grade with <laughs> fidelity, by the way, Ryan. What's that? That person you just described is not grading with fidelity. Well, well, I mean, who, who, how many people are grading with fidelity already? At least we can have the person screwing it up, you know, so they screw right. them all up in the same way. Yeah, he's just going to um, say, hey, listen, everyone's, everyone's, you know, I'm bottoming it out at this point and everyone's getting either this or, or above. Because if I, if I give everyone, you know, for lack of a better term, a C or above, no one's going to complain if everyone gets a C or above. But that's, that's what classroom teachers are already doing, right? They changed, yeah. they changed the grading policy in my division to where kids can redo any graded assignment if they score below an 80. Right. And they, they, if you score below an 80, you get to redo it. Now they're not allowed to get above an 80 on the redo. So a kid who gets yeah. a 79, it probably isn't worth your work, but you know, whatever. Right. And I, you know, you know what I did in my AP classes? I, cause I have to use, I use the AP essay rubric, but uh -huh. you have, you, you decide how that converts to an actual grade. I just went through and I was like, well, these are the, these are the numbers that are going to be the most common scores and they need improvement, but we're going to write more of these anyway. So I just made that an 80. That's it. Yeah. That's an 80. I didn't have time to read the first one. I don't have time to read it a second time. And in the end, you're going to write another essay in two, three weeks anyway. So why bother? And yeah. so, you know, that's what I'm saying. Like any problem with the, with the greater idea already exists as is. <laughs> like it's okay. already well, there. I'm, I'm, I'm going to say I would be ridiculously against that because I know how 
kids learn math. And if I am not getting to spend some time at minimum in small groups and hopefully some one-on-one, there are so many kids that are going to fall through the cracks. And I don't know what the deal is. And I, and I do not do like every lesson, you know, just teach at the board and then, and then we're going to do a worksheet. But I do know that there are definitely kids that like, for whatever reason, if I explain at the board, it's as if I never said it. And then when I come over to their desk and they ask me how to do it and I say almost exactly what I said at the board or I ask them questions to try and get them to like whatever. And then all of a sudden they get it, you know, what's your ideal class size? If you could pick any number to have all like, what, what's the ideal class size for you? Um, I'm 20. I was going to say 20 is probably where I would max out. I want 16. (laughs) Yeah. I'd want about 15. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I, I, it's got to be even. I've got it's got to be an even number, you know, so we get lucky and everyone oh, shows so, up. You, know? you put them in groups yeah. of four. Yeah, yeah. sixteen. Yeah, that's why. Yeah. If it's if it's kids who I'm getting who you know are now like in teenagers, you know, whether they that are in high school that have been socially promoted through to my math class and have none of the prerequisite knowledge, then I need to get it down to about fifteen. I had a class with one with, with sixteen. It was only my second year teaching, so I barely knew what I was doing. There was literally the worst, most unmanageable. And I don't know if, I don't know if as like an eight year late, eight years later, a little more maturity, a little more understanding how to handle it. I could do better, but it was literally the most challenging, like most stressful class. They, gave, the, they gave you the small class because they knew what they were giving you. Well, <laughs> it was, it was, it was a remedial class. It was the last block of the day. And out of 15 or 16 of them, um, five or six, had, for lack of a better word, done time at the alternative school for, you know, we had, we had our district. If you do something, whether it's fighting certain drug th- violations, certain like that, you get, you get, you can choose to do like this much suspension time or you can go to the alternative school. Or sometimes it's like you don't have a choice. You've got to go do like 30 days at this alternative school. So this, these were kids who were, for lack of a better word, and, and hopefully maybe some of them, got out of it but like we're literally on a prison track they they were like juniors at the time and they were we were seemingly just biding our time and 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 holding them until they were ready to to um be institutionalized it was you know kind of sad i love them as individuals but as a class it was just insane and so this was a small class and it was really i mean just there was a fight in my class they were you know just you know so there you have it folks Small classes are not the solution. No. <laughs> I mean, out of curiosity, what's the largest class that you've ever taught? I think mine was, I think I had 42. Holy, mine was 33. Yeah, I think I had maybe 32. I, I had, one, we had a teacher quit and we had to absorb all their kids. Yeah, I have, I've had 37 in person. And for the first quarter um, of this past year, I had 65 because we, we were, we were short a teacher and we were a hundred percent online. So they just threw like, they just combined two classes and put them in, um, one thing. And so that 65 kids in a zoom, which was, I mean, I was just, I was just a stage on the stage to them. Honestly, I talked to some kids individually, but for the most part, I was just, I was just doing examples on uh, my screen and then saying, okay, here's, here's 10 problems for you guys to practice with. Let me know if you need any help. And thankfully, I did have I did have a, a, like a for lack of a better, like a TA it was someone who was like an employee at the school who was not a teacher that had kind of like a 
they were like a, the library's assist, librarian's assistant or whatever was their technical job. But they said, you're going to go in Mr. Mealy's class during first block and help him mm-hmm. out. And I would just have them take attendance and um, monitor and answer questions in the chat. <laughs> I'd have been like, and here's all the essays you can grade for me. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't do that to him. So. Why do we do what we do? What's the purpose of school? How do we know what works? We don't want to be slaves to data. We shouldn't fetishize pedagogy. We don't want unaccountable, wild, free-form ideas of education that no one can really figure out how they work or if they do. We need honest, sincere dialogue. We need to talk about what really matters, and that's our students, and that's how we help them to learn and grow and improve. What we need is a discussion that includes all aspects of education, from philosophy to policy to pedagogy. You can find all of that, including interviews with authors, community leaders, teachers, students, and more on the ClassCast podcast. Check us out at www.classcastpodcast.com, on YouTube, and streaming on all major platforms. ClassCast podcast, where real education happens. Okay. All right. Next one. Magic wand. Sure. Um, freeing up more time for teachers to learn, more plan, learning opportunities, develop them as professional. We fight losing battle. So there's there's the age old, you know, giving teachers um, more time. And Ryan is going to tell us that he would gladly teach um, 12 hours a day with no planning time. Um, with, um, <laughs> no, I think, I think the time thing is huge, but that, but that's literally, that's the reason why I was arguing, you know, for the bigger classes and the greater is because while in certain ways that's hard and it's more work, it would actually reduce the thing that's most time consuming for me. Like that's, my, that's the basis for that argument is I don't have enough time. And so that's a format where I would have more time. So I'd have less grading. So I think this one's huge. I just, you'd have to be careful with accountability because people get tired and don't use their time. Well, you know, if you've ever yeah. watched students mm-hmm. in study hall, that's the same way teachers behave when they don't have something to oh. do. And, you know, so I, I'm, I'm all for it. I think we should have far more planning time. I think that there should be a couple of days a year where it's not professional development day. That's pre-planned where it's like, here's a day and you should go learn something like, yeah. um, you know, I, I, I think that that's a fantastic idea that, yeah, more, more time, more time. I think the accountability issue, I always find interesting because I, um, I had an admin who during your planning period was okay with you leaving the school to like go grab a cup of coffee or for a walk. Um, and I've had admin that were not. And knowing that I could, first of all, the autonomy of being able to say, okay, like what I need right now to be a good teacher isn't to sit in my classroom and do more planning. What I need to do is leave campus, go for a walk, have a brush of fresh air, and then come back and be a more compassionate and engaged teacher. And the work's going to get done no matter what. I'll probably stay an extra hour to finish the work I could have done during that planning period, but I needed to leave. And so I always find, especially being an adult, that accountability part always irks me a little bit because I I understand that teachers are going to abuse it. But at the same time, it's like, well, I can decide what this hour, what I'm doing with it. My argument against the teacher abusing it is there are teachers who are going to, and there's just there's human beings, okay, who are going to do things no matter if you, you make a rule, they find a loophole, you change it up, they, they find another way to do it. You know, they will, you are not going to, re, you are not going to create more rules for teachers that's going to result in more learning in general. There's teachers that most of us are intrinsically motivated. We became a teacher because we love kids. We love teaching and that's why we're going to do it. We're going to work summers, overtime, weekends, nighttime, 
early in the morning, whatever it is, whatever it is that works for you. And sometimes you're going to need a break while you're while you're during school hours, and sometimes you could means you're going to work another time. And then there's teachers who are going to, um, you know, open up the textbook, the chapter one, um, read the first paragraph, and answer the questions in the back. Tomorrow we're doing blah blah blah, and they're going to do that no matter what, and they're just they're just going to mail it in you know, all day, every day, no matter what you tell them to do as well. And so, yeah, that, that's my, but on the more time issue, I definitely, my big thing is, and I think there's places that do this. Um, I think the, who needs the most time is the, is the brand new teachers. We know we have such a, an attrition rate and teachers that leave after the first three to five years. If you could give them extra planning time where they could a meet with someone and kind of talk about what's happened in their classroom and get some strategies, some ideas, some support and be have some time, you know, whether it be once or twice a week to go, I'm going to go watch another teacher. My student teaching, when I did it, the first week you watched the lead teacher. The second week you took on one of their classes. And then the third week you took on another until you built it. So you had their whole schedule. You had that for however many weeks it was, five, six, seven weeks. I can't remember. And then you gave one, the class that you first took on, you gave that back and you gave, gave back all the classes. What I could see when I first was there watching her for the first week was almost nothing. Like I, I was like, I was basically a student following the lesson. And then six weeks later, when I'd been, you know, drowning in it myself and, and having to deal with all that, I would look at her and go, Oh my goodness, she did that. Oh, that's, that makes that happen. She said this and this is what results. She didn't do that. And all of a sudden, like my eyes were open. And so I think like as a first year teacher, if you could have times during the day to go in there and see someone and go, oh my God, I said this, but they said that. And they got this reaction. I got this reaction. I think that would be so, so helpful and really raise the level of um, retention for teachers. So I could be wrong, but that's my, my theory. I, I think that'd be great. I had a, a principal a while back who... um that was, he was like, I want you in each other's classrooms. I want you watching. I was like, yeah, I love this. And he's like, and, and we'll get a sub for you. Or one of the principals will come in and, and you know, run your class or whatever. And I was like, wait a minute. I still got to do all the planning. I got to write sub plans. <laughs> like I will, uh, you know, this, but I'm going to make a joke that was funny before the pandemic, but like, I will show up dying. <laughs> like yes. I will, b- before I write a sub plan, like it's so much extra work and nothing ever goes right. And it hit me. I was like, so I got to write this plan that the principal is going to roll into my class and teach. And then I've got this whole weird dynamic of the principal and the kids so that I can go watch somebody else for an hour. I'm like, I, I don't know. I, no, <laughs> like I need more, I need more time than that. Or, you know, so yeah. it comes back to that timing thing that um, if, if I had more time in the day where it wasn't a massive hassle to write that sub plan and do that, I would have yeah. taken more advantage of it. Like I did it once or twice in the end. I was like, it was cool, but it was so much it's, extra work it, it in the long run. Say, didn't you serve can, me. You can do it on a test day, but Test days, teachers or good teachers anyway, um, in my opinion, they get so much done on test days as well. So it's still like it's still stealing your time. I mean, the yeah. kids, it wouldn't set the kids behind in terms of lessons, but you're still going to have to make up that that time. Oh, I love those. I well, I, I love and hate those teachers. You know, I'm not one of them. You know, those teachers that like first block, they give the test and they like have graded all the ones that were turned in early. And then second block, they grade all of the first block of test. Well, I'm like, you did that. I'm like. I was like looking on Amazon and um, <laughs> I found slippers with sloths on yeah, them. Yeah, I was, I was, I was doing anything but that. You know what I mean? That's not what I was doing. I yeah, was just I'm, I'm busy trolling Unprocast on Twitter, and <laughs> I should have been grading. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Amelia, yeah. I'm curious. Like, uh, 
I've worked at a school where like literally, and I think this really depends on your admin. I worked at a school where literally we had planned meetings four days a week during our planning. So it was, yes, it was team meeting. It was department meeting. Wednesdays, we had nothing. Then we had a grade level meeting and then another team meeting. And that was the expectation every single week. Oh my God. I, 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 that year I taught, uh, the kids with special needs. So usually those Wednesdays were eaten up with uh, those IEP meetings. So like literally I would go months without a planning period. Oh. Um, and so, and that doesn't even count like school meetings. Like the part of the faculty meetings were yeah. like Wednesday mornings before school. I mean, so, I'd, be, I'd be like, so guys, remember how I said we were going to read that Shakespeare? You're watching all of it because I need a minute. <laughs> <laughs> forget, I, that, forget that uh, read and watch thing I talked about earlier today. Like, uh, uh, just go watch. I don't <laughs> So I'm curious how much planning time you get, because I um, I taught at a semester school. And so uh, the way that my teaching load was, is you taught seven out of the eight um, classes that the kids taught. So one semester, I'd only do three classes a day and I'd have, you know, an 80 minute block for planning. And then the next semester, we called it four on the floor because you had no planning all semester. You had to do oh all goodness. your planning for the next oh. semester, the first no. semester. Yeah. So much, insane. Yeah. How much planning, like, do you get a planning period every day, every yeah. other day? We, how does we it have, work? We have, at, at my school, it's one, it's four blocks and they're about yeah, roughly 80 minutes. Um, and we get um, one, one a day. Yeah. So you teach six classes six, in total? Six, six, six yeah, for the, for, the, for the entire. Yeah. Um, we, yeah. we do the same thing. I do... Well, we have, it's four 90 minute classes a day. Um, so I teach five plus a study hall. So study hall, you know, but I never get anything done during study hall because I hang out and talk to the kids. So I, I, I always have work out. And then when I really like, I'm like, guys, you, you bother me. Let me get this work done. It never gets yeah. done. Um, but yeah, it's, it's 90 minutes a day now. I haven't done it in a while since I had kids, but I, for, I want to say six or seven years in a row, I taught an extra class. So because you go from five to six, um, because they, you don't get rid of your study hall, you make an extra 20% of your salary. Um, and my theory was as long as it was a class I was already teaching, you didn't add anything to my planning time. You what? took away from grading time, but I already don't have enough time for the grading and I do most of it at home late at night anyway. So why not take the money? You know, because yeah. if I'm in, if I'm sitting in planning, you know, Tedesco, you're like, oh, I'm getting pulled into IEP meetings. Like I'm getting called into meetings. I get people stopping in. I'm not really getting that work done. So I used to take the extra class a lot and I'd only have the one planning every other. Um, but in that, in, in that setting, I think it, it worked now, you know, with kids at home and all the rest, I, I try to keep the planning, but yeah, one, one a day, I can't imagine doing a whole semester without any planning time during the day. Like wow. we, wow. you know, it's brutal. Absolutely someone would brutal. be very unhappy and, and I, well, I wouldn't be the only one is all I'm saying. Somebody else would be feeling it one way or another. Like not even in terms of like grading or prepping, like just the emotional burnout. Like I would get to the end of every day and just be like, I don't care who you are. (laughs) (laughs) My first time I ever had four on the floor, I, uh, my parents, I didn't live near the school, but my parents lived near the school where I was teaching. And one time they just came home and found me on their doorstep because I didn't have a key to their house anymore. I was an adult. I was just sobbing. Oh, on their front oh, door because oh. yeah you just you yeah you don't have yeah it no, it's traumatizing yeah yeah I, I mean the only other option is to just build in just dead time in your class and go you know hey we're just gonna we're gonna take 10 15 minutes every class that's gonna be me time and you can, <laughs> and you can just you know and now it's time you, for your writing journals yeah. right <laughs> you know you can read silently you can play this you know 
game on, you know, this Kahoot or whatever it is, but no one's asking me any questions, you know. You know, um, to be fair, there is a ton of research that says 10, 15 minutes of sustained silent reading, regardless of what class you're teaching, like works wonders. And there's, there's, it's less, but there's also some good research that says some, some free writing time works. And so I try to remind myself of that when I'm like feeling swamped or I have a lot going on. I remind myself like, Hey dummy, like you can just let, it's an English class. Like just let them read a book. Like you don't have to be doing a thing. And so that's something I've, I've probably gotten better at as I've gotten older that sometimes I'll just be like, you know what? We're t- take 15 minutes, go do your thing. Right. Because I need the time to do something and I know it's good for them. And so I try to do it semi-regularly now just so that they, they don't think I'm blowing them off. Like it's, this isn't a waste of time. This is something we do. Um, but that, yeah, I mean, that's probably just smart planning is to include that kind of stuff, especially if you're not getting enough actual planning time. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to listen to Lesson Impossible, a podcast exploring educational innovation. Each episode, your host, Aviva Levin, interviews a new special agent or resource specialist who shares their unique field of expertise, such as teaching through gamification or how to avoid teacher burnout. You can find Lesson Impossible on all major podcasting platforms or at LessonImpossible.com. All right. I'm interested in this next one. I got I got some issues with it, but I want to hear what you guys have to say. Okay. Go ahead. Read it. Let's go. At Bluegill31 says, I would make private education illegal. Ooh, shots fired. This would, this would force the ultra-rich to send their children to public schools then we might see proper funding and facilities. No. <laughs> no. Agreed. All right, next. <laughs> no, I mean, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't even happen, though. They would just say, I'm homeschooling my kid, and they'd bring in a private tutor. Yeah, you'd have the, exactly po- you'd have the pods say. going on. You'd have no, the same po- the a magic wand. They saw. can't do that, Ryan. It's a magic wand hour. Did you not well, understand that, that? But, I mean, at that point, like, that, we're, we're bordering on, like, you know, what's the next step with that wand there, Stalin? Like, you're going to tell people <laughs> where they can or can't send their own kids. Like, that. Yes. That's, that's it's a troubling effect authoritarian concept while i like the idea of the proper funding and and a community being built and all that um in the end the the person it sounds like they're worried about like it sounds like they're talking about very very wealthy people um they're not that kid's still not going to show up in that public school and so in the end all you did was you know inconvenience a lot of people and upset a lot of catholics or something i don't know (laughs) and and yes even if okay they do have to send them to private school and then they're going to send them to tutor afterwards like there's still going to be massive inequality yeah. ba- mm-hmm. based on income. I mean, that's right. just always going to happen. Right. So here's something maybe a little uh, controversial, but it's public dollars going for specialized schools. So you've got a public school that is a Catholic school, or you have a public school that is uh, an arts school or whatever it is. Good, bad thoughts. I mean, I, I love the idea of, of more magnet schools and more Votech schools. I love the, the specialization piece. I would stop short on funding, say, a Catholic school or a religious school. Just a, a, you, you cross a, an odd ideological line. Um, 
and I mean, constitutionally in the United States, that's, that's going to be an issue. I don't know, you know, how, how other countries, you know, guiding documents would work with that, but that, that that's, that's a can of worms that I would probably avoid, but I've actually, I've been making that argument for a while. And, and a question I ask everybody on my podcast is what would be your ideal school? You could, I mean, if you could do literally anything you want, as long as the kids don't die and they kind of learn something like whatever you say, that's your school. Now it's kind of like the magic wand for a whole school, right? That's my question too. And, and, and one of the, one of the most common answers actually has a lot to do with like creating these sort of specialized programs and access to that. Um, So I I think that would be great. And, and I, you know, I also, I think you can do it in a public school without forcing everyone to go private, Um, but it's probably going to be a little expensive, you know? And so you'd, you'd have to, balance, but I'd be all for it. The, the only reason I would be against um, like a, a, a Christian school being funded like that or, or any sort of like specifically religious school would be that there would definitely be, you know, a certain level of discrimination against the hiring of teachers, right? If you have a teacher who applies who's an atheist, if you have a teacher who applies who's Hindu or Muslim, are they going to get the same opportunities as a teacher who's there? Because a lot of those schools will require you to to sign some sort of confession of faith or something. I, I've seen that on on applications for uh, for some places. So uh, that's the only reason I'd be against it. I'm not against it ideologically. But yeah, as as for like the specialized um, sort of magnet sort of focus programs, I think that would be awesome. And, yeah. and, and, you know, I've done a bunch of episodes on school choice. I also think it would calm down sort of the, the hot debate over school choice. If we could provide more choice within the public school system, like we don't, we don't have to, you don't have to outsource that. You just have to have enough people in the community to get behind the idea that, Hey, we want to provide special programs for kids who are interested. You know, and I think that would be awesome. Okay. So I think we're almost at the end. We'll go. Um, if you guys want to look at the last two and see if there's something that, uh, that oh, jumps I, out at you. Uh, Dr. Alina Adams at AAA Adams. Brace That's a lot it. of A's, Dr. Adams. <laughs> Adams. <laughs> Brace for it. Let the children run things. Siri. This. Or at least mandatory kiddos on adult committees, governing boards, etc. Let them help teach too. Our students are so smart and deserve standing seats at adult tables to support all aspects of their education. Uh, I'm going to give the nerdiest confession ever. When I was in high school, I was the student voice on the like governing committee of the adults in the building. Nice. Um, How did that go? I mean, I brought a really nerdy voice. I probably wasn't truly representative of the the wants and needs of my classmates, but we need more homework. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it did give me insight into how schools were run in a way that I never got as purely a student. And that's something I mean I've talked about before and I really believe in is that transparency of of how we run our schools and I think I mean obviously this is a big jump to like turning it over to the kids but I I I do think that there there's value in letting them understand the system um I do think that this ends up being a lot more work like I've had student TAs um you know, I there was an episode actually with Batsheva that I, I did where we were talking about school transparency and she was saying like her kids did the lessons, but it was like three times as much work to get them prepped to do the lessons. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Thoughts? Um, I mean, I love it. And by the way, I'm horrified 
at the masochistic tendencies of a person who would be the student representative in all of these meetings and then who still chose to be a teacher. Like, you, saw, you saw the sausage being made and still chose that job. Like, what? And still said, earth? you know what? I think Sweeney Todd's onto something with that recipe. Yeah, like, oh, my goodness. Yeah, um, did, you, Aviva, did, you, did you feel heard is my, is my question. Yeah. Do you feel like that they that they that you that they took your your advice and they weighed it a little bit and said, okay, that's cool. We we understand this. We understand that. So yeah. Yeah, and the other thing too is it it created a relationship with me. Like as a principal, um, I never really got to know my principal though. Like I was a good kid. I wasn't getting in trouble. Right. Um. So then, but because I was like quote unquote colleague in some of these meetings, um, I got to know him. And then when there was like actual issues. Um, that I saw, I felt empowered to go and talk to him and address them versus I would not have felt that I could do that if I hadn't had that experience. And, and Ryan, we kind of dabbled in this and I got into a Twitter argument with someone about a month ago about this. I said it would be a good idea. For the to record, have... Mealy controls the Twitter. I take no responsibility <laughs> yeah. to any governing bodies currently listening. <laughs> I said it'd be a really good idea to have kids sit in on the um the job interviews. Oh yeah, yeah, guy, I remember I remember. They do that in the UK. And this guy yeah. and this guy barked back at me. This this is this is prior to the one that I that, that was with you, but I kind of like threw that in there because it was in my head. But like and he's like, so you want some kindergartner deciding who um the teachers are? And I'm like, dude, don't be so stupid. If there's kindergartners at the school, there's fifth graders there. Like, have the fifth graders sit in, not that, not the kindergartner. You know what I, I mean? I'd actually be okay with the kindergartners too yeah. if it's a kindergarten teacher. Like, Yo, kindergartners can smell BS a mile away. I was gonna say <laughs> they don't get to decide if they get hired or not, and they and you might excuse them for like, okay, now we're gonna like, you know, we appreciate it. We're gonna talk to you about what you think later, and now we're gonna have some conversations that aren't gonna involve like the kid because obviously some things you need to ask. The person maybe that the, the, the student uh, shouldn't hear, but then getting that feedback from that kid later, I think, is like so so valuable. Oh yeah, and yeah. think about how many teachers that would help too. Like, do you know how many elementary school teachers I know who are like, I can't get a job because I can't talk to adults. Like, I, I hate <laughs> adults, but if you put me in a classroom, I could show them I was really good, but I need to get past the, you know, I, interview. I need process. to get into the classroom or talk to the right. kid. Like, yeah. The, Putting a kid in that room might really help some good teachers. You know, but just as a side note to that, um, I have seen at least three, maybe four, yeah, four uh, teachers who are great classroom teachers, and then they are supposed to say something or you know present something at the faculty meeting. Four times I've seen an adult who's a teacher break down in tears because they feel so uncomfortable speaking in front of the entire faculty, and it's like it's like a mm-hmm. hundred, yep. hundred twenty people, like. I, you know, and I'm like, I'm like, man, I feel awful. And then as we're leaving the meeting, I'm like, like, how is that even possible? Like, that yeah, means that in your weird. head, in your head, that means your students aren't regular human beings like the teachers were, <laughs> right? Because one was no, the one teachers was, aren't the regular human the, yeah, beings. Yeah, maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. But no, but no, I, I, I'm all for. I think kids should be involved in all this. I'm, I would stop short and letting them plan all of the lessons and the rest, just because, like, let's let's remember, like, I'm literally in the room because I am highly trained in this. You have an expert in the room. We don't need to hand off all the instructional details to people who are novices. Right. But those those novices are still playing an important or you know, really the most important role in the class. So we, yeah. we vote on things all the time. Yeah. And sometimes I mean, I'll tell them, I'm like, here's my bias. I want us to do this. And here's why. 
but we can also do this. And if you guys want to do that, that's cool. You just, you have to tell me now. And we probably hold a vote and, and not just on like the order of things in a class. Like we'll do that for entire books. Uh, we'll vote on things like, do we spend two weeks on this or two days, depending on how we break it down and whatever the kids vote for, we do. Um, and I think they, the buy-ins better because they see that I'm trying to do whatever they are interested in. But I, I do think that that kind of representation is important on the school board. It's important in your, your faculty meeting, your, your department meeting, whatever that may be. Um, I just, I, I think, you know, you have to make sure it's a real position. It's not symbolic. Like, you know, Amelia, that was your question. Like, did you feel heard? Like you actually have to listen to those people in the room. Um, and if you get to the sort of the, the point slash joke you made, but like, you probably need some kids in the room who wouldn't be the teacher's first choices. You know, like you you need to get the kid in there who, who does wish school didn't suck. (laughs) And then, but they think it does suck. So now you're in the room. So you got to tell us how to do it better. And like that perspective could be really valuable. I think we should do that more. Yeah. I'll say two things on that. Number one, I was thinking about this the other day and honestly, one of the major points of education is to teach about things you wouldn't initially want to learn or teach you about things you didn't think you wanted to learn or didn't think you needed to learn. Like that's kind of why we have an educational system. If people just learned everything that they needed to because of whatever they wanted, then we wouldn't need school. Like, so there is a point of that where like, there should be the, that expert there saying like, yes, but you ne- really need to understand this because it's important in like the next few years and you don't have the scope for that yet. Right. Um, but I also do want to point out, we had uh, uh, Williams on before um, who's an admin. And he said during his interview processes, a common thing he'll do when he's hiring a teacher is he'll bring them to a classroom and, and invite them to teach a lesson and not stay for it. He'll like let them go and then leave. Because he says, I know if I stay there as an admin, they'll put on a show for me. I want to leave and then talk to the kids afterwards. And I think that's brilliant. Yeah, that's cool. Does he warn people? I hope not. Yeah, I would. I, I was just thinking. I'm like, you know, now I'm 15 years in. Like, if you were like, here, just jump in there and teach some stuff, I'd, I'd run with it. If you had done that to me first year out of college, like, I would have, I would have done it, but I would have been like trying to not let everyone notice how much pee was in my pants at that moment. Like, <laughs> <laughs> why won't he turn around and face us? I don't know. <laughs> like, that would that would have been. I, I would have done it, but it would have been horrifying. Now I would be. Oh, whatever, buddy. Let's let's do it. You know, I'll teach the. Pull the Adam Sandler, man. You're not cool. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're pants. Call me Miles Davis. <laughs> Alrighty. Um, I think that's the end. I. To this guy, I never figured out what closing ceremonies are supposed to be. So, um, I don't Aviva, think that's when the that's when they give you and I the awards. Oh yeah. yes, best guests. Yes. I mean, I've had a, a torch just slowly burning my house down, waiting for uh, me to go nice run with it. But... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. There are some acrobats and jugglers in my Laundry living room, room that are ready that are ready to come out here and and. Um, perform now all right amelia let's uh let's take some time let's let's reflect on, on some of the big pieces on, on what we did over edupodlooza okay okay would you like us to leave you alone since this is your your <laughs> would you guys Luda? like to have an intimate moment <laughs> <laughs> never i don't, care. I don't I, it doesn't matter no the more the merrier yeah so um the first uh thing we did we, we did we did the round table which was innovation that works and i thought that was like i was 
I had high hopes for it, but it really exceeded my hopes. I think that it went really, really well. And I thought the interaction and the way that people, you know, um, asked each other questions and did all that kind of stuff. I think that, I think that it went really, really well and that people supported one another with some really interesting ideas and concepts. I'm probably, cause my brain is mush right now. Cause I've, I've been, you know, pod losing for a long time. So I can't remember. We're hitting eight hours and 11 minutes. Yes. So, but I, I do know that I'm going to have to go listen back to it and get some definitely some ideas that I can use and some things to um, to think about. And then next you on your schedule was the radio drama was the radio drama, which we had a couple little it was like, you know, like and then we finally like it took, it took a little while, you know, to get the to get the car, you know, um, we need a little push to get the car started. But then once once it went there, it went really, really well between internet and 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 other things. We had some issues there. And but thank you to Lanning. Was your poetry slam? Yeah. And that Which was I, I looked at that, I'm like, we have an hour of poetry? That's gonna be awful. Like, and I love poetry, but I assume nobody enjoys listening to poetry. But Great. yes, yeah. It was really, really, really good. So, um, and, and I, as I even pressed there, I've, I've got a, a love-hate relationship with poetry, but I, I really, really enjoyed it. And I thought it was, I thought it was fantastic. And I think it was really something that I'm really cool to, um, that, to hear all the different, different stuff there. And, um, yeah, I was, and I was also to be a bunch of dead air. <laughs> and, and in a selfish aspect, I was, I was, cause I'm, you know, we know I'm an attention, you know, affirmation junkie. I was happy that my, poem was was well received that was well. a good poem mealy yeah so i've you know i think were you, were you surprised a little bit to this go uh i i didn't know how seriously you're gonna like i figured it would be something really really silly and ridiculous and like you uh -huh. actually were it was really heartfelt it was wonderful yeah yeah uh i'm gonna break at the halfway point of your edu Pavluza. what was your favorite admin teacher student that you heard um Oh wow! I honestly think the first one where there was the, a lot of the um, the debate between uh, Ant Man, Doctor Strange, and Captain Marvel. Oh. Yes, yeah, <laughs> that was funny. Yeah, man. that got really that deep, good. and it got really deep into the into the you know the nerdiness of, of Marvel, but also um, with the, uh, the 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 reflection. And I like I said at one point when we were playing that game, the the best part of that game is it makes you think about what you value in an admin, what you value in a student and what you value in um, a colleague. And so I think that's one of the really, the, it's, it's fun. It's a fun it's way really, to kind of, where get do you there. put that one? Like that, you want to put the most work on yourself. <laughs> you want to just dump it on others by making it a colleague. You don't have to interact with, right. or do you want to make it the admin. So no one's watching you. And, and it depends on what kind of a bad one they are. And then it depends on what you want, you know, so the, so the, you know, it's not always the worst one ends up as this, that, the other, but, it, and, and you get to hear, like, honestly, if I was a principal interviewing someone, I would um, use that as an interview question. And I think you would get a lot of insight into um, what kind of teacher that, that person is. So. Uh, and then the round table for edu podcasting. Yeah. That was so much fun. That was that was that was a that was a blast too. And we um it was neat because it started off as kind of like fun and talking about stuff that we got and then it got really transparent and really got into like people's 
you know, desires, people's wishes, people's fears, things that people are wanting to, um, to, uh, to do as goals, but then also the fear of backlash from your podcast, getting you in trouble and, and all, and all of that stuff. So that was, I, really I like totally want to do that again, whether it was recorded or not, but just because yeah. yeah, just a chance to talk with podcasting colleagues about what their practice is like. Yeah. I mean, who knows? Maybe we're going to have to start a podcast about educational podcasting so that can be more transparent and share people's practices. Yeah. I mean, and, As, and, and that being said, like, I do plan on making EduPod lose an annual event. I would, and my, my, so my, my dream, my dream would be to grow it to where we could do it um, live and we have to find a good central location and have, you know, well, you see all the viewers we have. They'd obviously show up live. <laughs> but, but I would love it to be there where we could have a whole bunch of teachers come and then have education podcasters talk and 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 just talk and do and do all this kind of stuff. I think this would be a really neat like um, live professional development, you know, conference or whatever. And I think that would be kind of a neat way to do it as well. And then lastly, what or not lastly, sorry, second to lastly was the role-playing game. Yeah. And kudos to Tedisco for um, all the time and effort it took into to making that game and making it really fun and interesting. Just as, as teachers, use your creativity. The topics and the things that we talked about during the role-playing game weren't that much different than things that we talk about 18,000 other times as teachers, but it was just a different way to kind of bring up the subjects and to get into those discussions and to, and to, um, and to reflect on our, on our practice. So I think that was, that was, it's a really neat, fun way to do it. And then bring it full circle, the magic wand hour. And here we are. We're at the end of the magic wand hour. And, and, and we just thank you for all the people that have listened to it, all the people that participated. I'm and so glad we got to do this hour, Mealy, with Aviva and, and Ryan, because you two are very different. Yes. And I liked hearing both your perspectives. Yes. It was great. Yes. Yes. Yeah, Twitter Definitely. can sometimes feel like an echo chamber of your own opinions, especially with the magic wand. And people were just because there's no dislike button, right? So people were just liking <laughs> everything or or not. And so yeah, to have the chance to flesh that out, I think was really amazing as well. Yeah. Yeah. Okie dokie. So um I guess that's it. I don't we have any um Final words to this go or Mealy, well, I, I think we should lucid. We edupod I, lucid. Yes, go ahead, Aviva. Oh, I was just gonna say, I think a moment of appreciation for Mealy and Tedisco for not yes. only sitting there for eight hours, your butt <laughs> must hurt so much. Um, actually, sorry, the, the mirror where I am, all Mealy. It's all Mealy. <laughs> <laughs> he organized all of this stuff. I just said, like, yeah, I got a game. <laughs> no, no, by, no. By the way, when I when I jumped in into the the call a little early and I heard the end of the game, that was the the one thing I kept thinking. Aside from this is so nerdy, but aside from that, the thing I kept thinking was somebody put a lot of time into creating this. Like this yeah. does not look like an easy thing to do. And right. so I was like, I hope they're all having a lot of fun because somebody worked hard on this. So it was really fun. Yes, I'm <laughs> yeah. glad you all enjoyed how, it. How many games have you made in, in your in your lifetime to disco? Board games like that? Yeah. That would be the one. Okay. Okay. <laughs> hey, have you done gymnastics awesome. before? Oh yeah, I'll run D and D games all day, and I've I've created a lot of those. But like you know, that, yeah. that's a different beast from like building a board game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot. 
Okay. Well, thank you guys again. Um, as we always say, um, stay edgy, pop loser. Stay, un stay unprofessional. Okay. All right. Bye. Thank you, and stay unprofessional. Stay unprofessional. Stay unprofessional. Stay unprofessional. Stay unprofessional.